Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. It's a question that we commonly hear from newcomers to the security industry. How can I learn to do what you do? It's a great question and one that we could spend many episodes diving into. While we can't cover everything, we can cover a lot of what we wish we knew when we were considering security as our profession. We're going to talk about our own personal journeys, why you might want to get into security as a career, and how you can cut the shortest path to being a security professional. I know we all have our own opinions on this, but Logan, why don't you take it away with, uh, you know, why should anyone consider getting involved in security? Sounds good. Um, uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say... We find it pretty fun and, and engaging. Um, uh, I think security is for anyone who likes solving um, just hard problems, complex problems that don't have a, a well-defined solution. And uh, a lot of that stems from dealing with the unknown in security if you are trying to, say, develop an exploit. And then uh, if you're on the defending side, just dealing with the unknown of what attackers might be able to do. Um, another, another aspect that makes security fun and engaging for me is the fact that it is adversarial. It is a game. Yeah. And, a game, uh, game with serious consequences in a uh, lot of cases, <laughs> like oh, SolarWinds is currently dealing with. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yes, absolutely. I don't mean to make light of it. But, uh, Chris, we've talked about this. Um, no, we both love security, but we're also a little interested in legal work as well. Yep. yep. Well, you, you are definitely the one that has had far more of a hand in that, <laughs> despite the fact that we've been on the receiving end of potential legal problems. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good segue. So um, the way I ended up working in election security was I was just generally interested in elections and how they work. So, so if you want to get involved in security, th- this is a good example of um, if you're interested in a field, you can become an expert in that field. And that's really a prerequisite to being a security expert in that mm. field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And w- when it comes to career opportunities in security, um, if you decide, hey, I'm no longer interested in security, you can leverage those skills. Uh, in the area that you were previously working in, uh, elections, in that example, um, that's, yeah, that's definitely how that's definitely how I got involved as well. Is when I was initially considering security, I wasn't sold on the idea that it was what I really wanted to do. But what I was sold on was the fact that it's like, in order for me to be a security expert in any given place, I have to first be a technical expert. So you know, by the time that by the t- if you were to say I'm going to you know hang up my hat and I don't really want to do security anymore. The skills that you have have kind of uh, gained in order for you to act as a security expert in that area are going to be easily transferred to just operating in that field in any other capacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, general demand for uh, security experts is growing. It's a growing industry. Um, it's a lucrative industry. And yeah, the people in the community, they're great. Um, the vast majority of my friends are in the security community. And you get paid. 
And I get paid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, why get involved in security? The way I sum it up is I'm getting paid to do things I do for fun in my free time anyway. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's one of those jobs where if you do enjoy it, uh, it goes into the saying that everyone has heard, right? Uh, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Now, I, I add something to that when I'm speaking to college students, which is do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Um, it may not make you money, but if it does, great. Uh, so you, you might be doing what you love and never make any money in your life, but you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, but security just so happens to be, at least for us three, something that we both love doing and it makes us money. And if you don't love doing it, no matter how much money it pays you, you're going to hate it. But that's yeah. uh, that's a for another time to discuss that. <laughs> um, uh, one more thing, since I said it, it can be a fun game, I just want to really emphasize that another reason to get involved is the work does matter. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's and especially looking at now because we're still kind of at least in the in the world of public information, uh, we are still learning about the scope of the recent solar winds hack, which <laughs> it just keeps getting more and more, uh, it's terrible. Dark. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, is, it is terrible. They are the best like remote access tool ever. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and that's not what their software is designed to do. Um, but it is now, uh, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it is terrible. We're, we, I've been dealing with uh, it with some clients and, I would say what's out right now, like generally not not in the security community, but what like the general IT community is talking about is not even scratching the surface of how bad yeah. it is. Yeah, um, that, that was my assumption as well, because I was like, oh, you're telling me that a nation state adversary got access to a suite of tools that uh, like basically embedded in all the Fortune 500 and they even targeted Microsoft with it. Yeah, so so bring it back to what, where we went off on this tangent. When you work in security, you can help prevent situations like this. Yeah. Or if you do a bad job, you help cause them. <laughs> because because then people, people security, think they're... You always help cause them. Now, <laughs> but people, if, if you say like, oh yeah, this is legit, and then it gets popped, you know, everything could be hacked, but if you're like, oh yeah, this would be very, very difficult to compromise, or like your, your security posture is very good, then that person thinks that like, yeah, hey, we're doing the right things, right? And that, that can be even worse sometimes, is the feeling of being secure when you're not secure. Yep. Because then yep. you stop doing th- a lot of people even though they we tell people like you don't stop you always you know review and change they'll stop they'll just be like hey uh we're doing the right thing so we don't need to do that anymore right they'll mm-hmm. literally pull a sony as i call it because that's exactly what sony <laughs> did and then they got popped and mm-hmm. then they ramped up their security and they're like oh everything's going fine and then they got popped by a bunch of kids in dorms yep yep so Talked a bit about why to get involved in security, uh, but I myself am not directly involved in security, at least in a professional capacity any longer, You know, at least not with my nine to five. And so I want to say why you should not get involved in security. And the thing that really cinched, the, cinched it for me is this idea of a reductive versus an expansive mindset. So for you to be really good at security, one of the 
things that you kind of have to develop is when you look at something, you need to spot its flaws. And when that becomes your profession is all you're looking for is the way to exploit something or the way to find the way that something else is broken. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you train your mental muscles to look at something and find the problems. Whereas now I just do core engineering, which is where you look at an empty space and say, what could possibly exist here? So it's, it's like this deep difference in the way that you look at the world with respect to when you look at something, are you envisioning what could be or how it is flawed? And I just got really tired of looking at something and always thinking like, ah, this is why it's not good. If you find yourself in a security job, uh, basically in the security industry, most of the jobs are on the wrong side of the balance sheet, which is to say that you are on the cost, not the revenue side, right? So every business is going to come down to decisions around uh, you know, do we afford this? What do we do? X, Y, Z. And it comes, it, it typically comes down to a calculation on money, right? Like, are you costing the business money or are you producing money for the business? And the vast majority of security positions are going to be on the cost side of the balance sheet, which is to say that you are always going to be, uh, and, and it's just a different mentality that the business is going to take towards you, right? Like if you are what is actually generating revenue, then you're going to get all sorts of nice perks. You're going to get all sorts of nice deference. If you are just kind of a cost center where it's like, well, we just throw money into this thing. And we honestly, if we could get it for cheaper, it'd be better. Uh, being on the wrong side of the balance sheet is significant with respect to the sort of uh, quality of life you'll get out of your job. And unless you're in consulting or you're building a security product, you're going to be on the wrong side of the balance sheet. Most companies honestly don't prioritize security. Uh, going back to what I said about the balance sheet, if you're on the wrong side of the balance sheet, uh, like one of the things that, and Drew, I think you can definitely attest to this, is a lot of companies really only care um, if you are, if, you, if they're compliant. Right. Like because oh, all they have man. to care about security is is compliance. So the flip side of one of the other things that was mentioned in why you should get involved in security is like, oh, yeah, you, you need to enjoy it. Right. Like having a job that you enjoy, you're not going to work a day in your life. Uh, there are a lot of folks in security that really, really enjoy this work, which is to say that if you want to be competitive, you need to enjoy it as well. Because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to be able to muster the amount of time, energy, resources that it's going to take to really become an expert. Because, you know, the field is always it's it's all cat and mouse. It's always growing, it's always expansive. Really being a being a an expert in security is staying on the bleeding edge of what's happening because you're constantly having to figure out in this changing landscape, what are the new things that we need to worry about? Once it's once it's already solved, then it's no longer your problem, right? Like, well, it's your problem to, to an extent, but really the experts are on the bleeding edge of this new stuff that we haven't seen before. How do we protect against it? And it takes a lot of energy to stay on that edge. One of the other things that I'm not particularly fond of is while like, you know, sitting here with you two guys, like y'all are great friends of mine. There are lots of great people in the community. There's also a number of there's definitely darker sides to the community. There's definitely a darker element. There's definitely a just kind of it. I mean, what, what, what do you guys think? I know that, for instance, going to DEF CON, people that had not gone there before, you kind of have to warn them like, hey, like, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Like, especially, I, I don't know. It, it's what do you guys think? I mean, the security community does include bad guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yes. and 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 not just that. 
the darker side, I mean, not just talking about straight bad guys, there is, unfortunately, in the security community, a very high school-ish feel. Yeah. Uh, where everyone's very clicky, and it's yep. it's just, it's straight up stupid. Uh, yep. Security drama, and like, Twitter, Twitter is the bane of this. Uh, uh, when it comes to people just complaining on uh, about security drama stuff, uh, or, or starting security drama stuff, uh on twitter it gets annoying it's like none of this matters it's the company that you're working for or or the company that you're building uh, are all their clients like 100 percent secure why are you complaining about something that doesn't matter right now like let's mm-hmm. focus all our energy on working on security instead of doing some hearsay rumor you heard about someone that is not not true at all yeah, uh, and, and we run into that a lot. Uh, there is, if you want to get interested in security, uh, the first thing I tell people is avoid Twitter. For <laughs> I, I, actually, the the exact thing I tell students is, if you want to get involved in security, uh, so these are young college students that are you know first year, second years, uh, go get on social media. Do not get involved into any type of twitter drama until you're making over two hundred thousand dollars then you can get involved in it but until then just focus on security and bettering yourself yep uh and i'm sure no person i've ever said that to has listened to it fully and uh, implemented it because you always see people getting involved in twitter drama in the community but i would say that's one of the darker sides of the community is the high schoolish feel not just the straight up bad people i mean there are bad people in our community but mm-hmm. it, it gets very clickish sometimes and it is very annoying even if you're one of the popular kids it still becomes annoying my solution is to not be on twitter uh, <laughs> an, an, ex- yeah. an excellent solution yeah infosec twitter is a cesspool uh I wanted to take a minute to go around and share our own stories about how we each got involved in the industry. So why don't you kick us off with that, Logan? Sure. Okay. Um, well, let me think back a bit. Um, I, I'm recalling being like 10 years old or something like that. Yeah. Discovering the Anarchist Cookbook. Yep. Yeah. I uh, spent a lot of time on Totsi. If anyone wants to look that up, Temple of the Screaming Electron. It was a great website for uh, learning how to do all sorts of shady stuff. I've just always been interested in that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, and let's see, I I started getting involved in like Linux and hardware hacking. I think the first thing I ever installed Linux on was actually my Xbox. Um, Yeah, and then I just went to school for computer engineering and got an internship at Oak Ridge National Lab. And that's where I first started working in security in a professional capacity. Um, And even before that, I was involved in um, like game hacking, modifying game hacks Mm -hmm. for Counter-Strike. I remember Uh, Diablo 2 and the the open world thing. You could could kit your character out with just crazy stuff and it was always just ridiculous. (laughs) You could could play online Diablo 2 or this like open world online Diablo 2 where every single character was just had these like completely hacked items. Oh, I love it. Yep. Yeah, one of my good buddies, he completely owned Worms 2 online. 
<laughs> you, you just do anything. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I've just always been interested in this sort of work. Um, being able to do things that you might not be intended to do. Just being, being able to like will what you want done into reality. Um, but yeah, uh, went to the lab, started working professionally in security. I ended up, um, one of my sponsors at the lab really liked me. So he paid for a bunch of trainings at Black Hat for me. I went to Black Hat and DEF CON and that's where I started making lots of friends. And then maybe the next year I uh, submitted to Black Hat and DEF CON and got a talk accepted that I never got to give. <laughs> and the rest is history. How about you, Drew? Yeah. So similarly, when I was younger, you know, playing around with hardware, breaking things on uh, computers, not necessarily <clears throat> dealing with like uh, video game hacking. Uh, what I was more interested in at that time was understanding phone systems. And I, mm. I missed the golden age of phone freaking. Uh, I was too too young for that. Uh, but there were other types of more readily a- available items I could play with. And uh, while trying to understand the newer phone system, playing around with the radio a lot. So, you know, taking apart baby monitors or wireless telephones and trying to uh, make them do new things or, or change different things, uh, you know, taking apart uh, ham radios and then uh, seeing how they worked as well as changing some of the requirements, changing uh, some of the hardware in them so that they could do things that they weren't designed to do. And then I started working for like an IT shop. Um, and after about a year of that, I started to get into doing security professionally, uh, which was not something I knew that you could do actually in 10th grade. Uh, I learned that you could do security and hacking as a job. I had my uncle who worked for the government uh, have a conversation with me. He was like, hey, so you like doing this hacker stuff? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, I'm, <laughs> I, I am not retarded is what he told me. <laughs> and I was like, all right. He's like, you can do it for a job for the government and like, we'll pay you. And I was like, oh. Okay, tell tell me more about how I can be a government hacker. And so he gave me like a roadmap Um, and I I followed it mostly uh, except for the college part. I didn't want to go to college, Um, but I eventually did go to college as a poli sci student. And then I and then I dual majored because I was told you won't work for the government unless you have a technical degree as well. I was like, oh. Okay, well, I'm taking all these tech courses anyway, so I guess I can dual major. And then, I didn't uh, know that. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, my main interest is the science part, uh, science part of uh, political science, not the social part where people are like, oh, this is, you know, this, this is what we're doing to determine voters. I'm like, no, tell me what beer someone drinks, and I will give you an algorithm that will give you a probability of who they're going to vote for in the next five elections. <laughs> um, that, that, that is the part of poli sci that I'm really interested in. Um, so, yeah, I don't really talk about that. Uh, but I was a poli sci major. I'm a dropout now. Uh, but uh, with all that, uh, before I dropped out, I got hired by a research lab uh, as an intern, and then 
two weeks after being an intern, I actually got hired to uh, run the research lab, uh, which was a very unique opportunity uh, and only possible because it was a smaller research lab. They're not going to just have some geek off the street come in and then, uh, you know, run their research lab. But they're willing to take a bet on me. It was actually the hardest interview I've ever been through. Uh, to this day, still the hardest interview by far I've ever been through. Uh, but it uh, really launched my career. And we had a, an extreme amount of flexibility of that uh, in that research lab, which allowed me to do a lot of things that a lot of other individuals wouldn't be able to do at that time. And that really positioned my career um, moving forward from that. So started again, just younger nerd and geek, uh, learned I could do it professionally. And then I, uh, started doing it professionally. So that's how, that's how I got in, uh, in security. That is, uh, one of the things that I always share is like, man, if you could have told 13 year old me that I could have gotten paid to hack into systems legally, and like actually help people out doing it. It'd be like, you're out of your mind. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And the so on my end, I think my mom actually takes a good bit of credit. Uh, so back when I was, I want to say maybe like 11, 12, my parents installed something called NetNanny on the family computer. <laughs> and I was really into video games. Uh, and so they gave me an hour of computer time, an hour of computer time a day. And that was nowhere near enough for me to play my video games. So I tried doing all sorts of things to get around that. Um, and the, so the main solution I, I landed on was, uh, so it just had like an overlay on top of the Windows screen mm-hmm. that you had to like type in a username and password and then it unlocked and then you had a counter in the corner. And when it went to zero, it would lock again before you actually had this built into the Windows operating system. Um, and so I found out that I could take my Mega Man X video game CD-ROM, which had an autorun.exe on it. So if you put it into your computer, it would automatically play. But I wasn't a huge fan of Mega Man. But the thing is, when it played, it would have its own overlay that would pop on top of the NetNanny overlay. And it would also resize the size of the screen. And that didn't play well with NetNanny. NetNanny would then, I would basically pop it in, Mega Man would pop up, I would exit out of it, and it would have resized the overlay for NetNanny so that I could see the start bar. I could click on the start bar and then get access to the start menu. And then NetNanny bypassed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and my my parents were pissed when I figured this out uh, because it was really hard for them to keep me off the computer. But in, in, in in all honesty, like that was me learning at a young age how to get around these things uh, on computers. And fun fact, I also then took credit for teaching my sister to be a hustler because she would sell her computer time to me. <laughs> and, so, and so I was always broke because I was always giving all of my allowance to my sister to buy her computer time. Um, uh, so, that's know. hilarious. I, I, used to, I used to sell in high school uh, like web VPN URLs to students for like 50 cents each if they wanted to get around the school filter. So that's uh, – oh, man. That, see, again, it can be lucrative even when you're younger. Security <laughs> yeah. can be lucrative. <laughs> um, my hustle in high school was I had uh, solutions manuals for so many classes. Uh, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not strictly security, but definitely a breach. Uh, 
Okay, so, so did that did that as a kid. Uh, got into college thinking I wanted to program video games, and then got more interested in the computer science side of things. Got I really liked math, um, and then out of out of undergrad was uh, basically had another opportunity that I was pretty unqualified for, uh, but I you know basically somebody took a bet on me where I ended up being a principal researcher on a DARPA contract uh, at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And uh, in my tenure there, I found the student organization that or like the student hacking club and got involved with that and ended up running the hacking club for um, for a bit. And like I didn't know anything about like professional security when I first got involved in that in that student organization. And, and like nobody, nobody was volunteering to give presentations. And I was like, well, this is really cool. I wish that there were more people willing to contribute. Um, but other people aren't giving this presentation. So I guess I have to. So like literally every week I would pick a new topic and then research it and then put a presentation together and then present it to the group. Um, and that's really how I got my start. I, I would also bring in, uh, external parties to give presentations to the group, uh, as a way that they could get interface with, with college students learning this sort of stuff. And through that, Got involved, or basically was was given a job offer at a security consultancy, which is where I met Drew. Um, and I worked at the security consultancy for a few years, and then hopped off, started my own company, and uh, and yeah, so so it really started from a <laughs> wanting to get around stuff for my own personal interest, and then found that it's like, oh, cool, I can I can teach myself this stuff, and it's actually there's a pretty thriving industry around it. But with all that being said, though. What do you guys think are the core kind of requirements or competencies that people have to have in order for them to succeed in the security industry? Uh, I think the biggest two are patience and perseverance. Um, uh, in security, like nothing comes easy and mm-hmm. uh, you'll have to be comfortable not knowing what's going on and not knowing what the correct step forward is often most of the time um and yeah, speaking from personal experience like the biggest test of perseverance i've had was working on a project where i had zero progress to share for literally a month before getting an exploit that works mm-hmm. and that and that month sucked but yep got, got to the end oh god bring me back to my consulting days <laughs> yeah oh yeah i still live in that world so you know and uh it's painful sometimes. Uh, but I, I would think something that we all talked about and uh, how we got started in security is we all started with a curiosity and something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. So so we having not just asking, you know, we, if you are the child who is always asking the question why not to being a, you know, a little annoying shit, but to actually understand uh, what is wanting to happen or, or why something works a particular way, then I think that's a good indicator for someone that could be in security, having that curiosity and not just being satisfied with the answers that you're given, uh, but researching and understanding the true answers behind the why of why something is working this particular way and why it doesn't work this way and why can't we make it that work that way and oh, look, now I did make it work that way. So curiosity for me, I think, is going to also be one of the core requirements that is going to be needed for any successful security professional. Totally, totally. And that goes into like you have to be interested, right? Like pulling stuff apart. I remember 
as a kid, all the electronics I would give, like, ooh, give me a screwdriver, just pull everything. And my favorite thing was the magnets you would get out of hard drives. That was my favorite thing to pull out of stuff. Uh, but but yeah, just just taking stuff apart and figuring out how things work is is absolutely kind of a, a core. You know, it doesn't have to be something that you're good at out of the gate, but it has to be something that you're interested in. And the other thing that I would add on top of kind of patience, perseverance, and curiosity uh, is autodidactism. So the ability to teach yourself, because like like I went to grad school for infosec, and there's plenty of stuff that I learned in those classes. But I'll tell you where I really learned was teaching myself like that story that I told about, you know, running the running the hacking club uh, was just like, oh, we're going to present on cross-site scripting. I have no idea what that is. So let me go do some research. And there are so many good resources out there right now. And we're going to we're going to drop a bunch of them in the show notes. So yeah, please check out our show notes. We're going to we're going to reference the URLs in, in our conversation here. But but we have a bunch of resources to share where if you have the ability to teach yourself, then you can do this. Because there are so many good sources for learning, but a lot of them are not going to be in a classroom, right? Like you can definitely go get a job at, at like kind of a, you know, third tier security consultancy where they don't require you to be good at anything. You'll be a security analyst and you'll be involved in the industry a little bit. And like maybe you'll have some mentor there that'll help you. But in, in actuality, if you really want to get into this, you need to be somebody that can go to a website or watch a video or read a book and figure out what is actually going on here. And in terms of like what, once you have all these traits, then let's say that you really want to break into the security industry. Well, you have to pick a security discipline to get started, right? Like you, you got to pick one thing to, to focus on. And so, you know, Drew, can you give us a sense for what are these different things? You know, there's a ton out there, but are there some that you could point out and, and like how big are they? Yeah, I mean, everything needs security in today's world, right? Uh, but the, the big ones when we, we talk about security discipline and, and if someone comes up to us at a conference and they're like, I want to break into security. It's like, great, you're already making the good first step. You're at a conference. Um, what do you want to do? And that's always the next thing is like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, I want to I want to do pen testing or I want to, which is always the throwaway answer, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. uh, if someone comes up <laughs> and they're like, I want to do be a pen tester, uh, you know, tap them on the shoulder and be like, poof, you're a pen tester. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a magic wand uh, for that, though. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so now I need to carry a magic wand in my backpack. Uh, you can just but, use your antennas. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You, say, yes. <laughs> yeah. you are now knighted. Yeah. Sir, Sir wireless of pen testing. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to do it next year at DEF CON. You watch. Uh, but now, you know, the, when I ask, okay, so, so you want to do a pen tester. What do you want to focus in? Like, what do you want your discipline to be? You, you can learn a lot of things. You can be involved in a lot of other areas, but what is like your number one thing when people are going to talk to you, what are they going to think you are the expert in? And this can be something like application security. And application security is just a huge uh, space in the security. A catch-all uh, bucket market. almost. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're like, oh, there's so many things I want to learn to do, uh, where do I start? The answer is application security because that's going to be the easiest one to get a job for as well uh, because it's such a large space. 
And this and is to clarify not- and, to, and to clarify what it's usually referring to is basically if there is something custom being built with respect to software, I guess you can kind of call other things applications as well. But typically if it's we're engineering something new and we need to consider the implications of what we're building, that's going to be thrown into the bucket of application security. Yeah, it's it is, you know, and to break it down even more is uh, you know, you have web applications, you have mobile apps, you have desktop apps, uh, you have, I mean, even if you want to specialize in mainframe apps, though those things are are going away, uh, there are still some people that, that specialize in mainframe apps, but there's just a huge plethora of opportunity in that space. Another one, if you want to, and again, that's not just on the like offensive side, there's on the defensive side as well, dealing with this, um, with like secure development uh, life cycles and stuff like that. We then have infrastructure security, and this is you'll typically hear people talk about SCADA or ICS. This is another huge one. This is going to become more important, I think, in the next two years, uh, and then as well as we are coming into. Uh, you know, the fourth industrial revolution right now, which we are currently in uh, infrastructure security around a smart grid is going to become even more important. And when I say smart grid, I'm not just talking about the home area networks that, you know, your fridge is connected to your smart meter uh, type of smart grid stuff. I'm talking about the smart grid that is self-healing and self-adjusting to move power in efficient manners um, and that in itself, that type of security, the, the ability, the security around that as well is going to be huge. Corporate security, uh, this is what we would consider like golden images on laptops, antiviruses, uh, security monitoring type items. Some people might say it's the least appealing uh, out of everything when we talk about security discipline. Uh, but it also is, and this is more on like the blue team side, uh, there can also be more money made in this area than other areas of security. And this is because you're dealing with keeping businesses up and running and business continuity and allowing them to recover quickly from disasters. And the current company you work for may not you know, respect that until after they have an incident. Um, But the next company that you work for that has had that incident will definitely respect that position and they will be paying top dollar for it. Now, other items that you could deal with, uh, physical security, this field is actually very difficult to do just purely. And we've talked about this before, Uh, but physical security is something everyone gets interested in. It's one of the areas people consider uh, myself an expert in. Uh, I do train both uh, private professionals as well as government agencies and how to break into things, whether it be you're breaking into a small, uh, you know, strip mall business all the way into you're breaking into very high secure uh, military facilities or government facilities. Um, It is something that is extremely fun. I love breaking into, you know, data centers. I've broken into some of the largest data centers in the world. I've broken into places where people consider, uh, 
you know them to be extremely secure. Some of them are used as a uh, you know as a slang for being extremely secure. They'll say you know as secure as X Y Z, and it will be a place that I've broken into, uh, and I really really love it. But again, it's hard to find 100% pure physical security work. Uh, another passion of mine is hardware embedded security. Uh, this is an area I think that is going to be growing as well in some regards. In other regards, it will also be uh, shrinking. But there are going to be pockets in the hardware embedded security field that are definitely uh, experiencing exponential growth. And... This is another great way. This, I mean, if you're doing hardware security, this means that you can also do other types of security. So if hardware security is something you find out like, oh, okay, I actually am, you know, getting a little bored of this. Now you can jump over to something more easily uh, than, let's say, your focus on physical security. And then you have RF and and wireless as well, uh, which is another passion of mine. Uh, and breaking not just the known protocols, but there are, like in infrastructure security, uh, there are a lot of proprietary protocols. So being able to reverse engineer and break those, can be fun. those type of items, it, it yeah. can be fun. And, and uh, you know, there's not a ton of great people who are doing it in regards to a focus of security. There are a ton of unbelievably magical RF engineers and researchers, uh, there are less than a ton of, uh, you know, RF-focused security engineers. There's more than there's ever been before, uh, but it is it is still a field which is a little bit of black magic in it because it does deal with black magic, a.k.a. RF. And then another one, yeah. Uh, I want to chime in there on the hardware-embedded radio because you just touched on it there. Um, yeah. They're my favorites because of the black magic. Um, uh, Because most computer scientists don't know how hardware actually works. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, hacking of the logic puzzles, hacking of people and their tendencies. But with hardware hacking, you might talk to the original author of the software and they'll say, oh, no, this is perfectly secure. You'll say, well, LOL, I made your chip cold or I glitched it, something like that. It, right. it does require like knowledge of the magic to exploit. Well, and, and that's I mean, and that's that's the other great part about it is it is an additional piece of the puzzle that engineers will sometimes forget. So, uh, you know, your hardware hacking, uh, you know, explore exploration can be as easy as. Oh, left. Uh, look, they left serial open up on the board so I can plug directly into it. And now I have access into uh, this piece of hardware and to all their code. Uh, a lot of hardware will not always be that easy. Uh, so don't get don't get disappointed when you start looking into hardware and you're like, oh, man, I can't I, I, I'm not really uh, finding anything. If you're looking at getting into hardware, my recommendation for you is to get a Netgear router, any of them. They're all shitty. Uh, and <laughs> and reverse engineer it hardware-wise. I guarantee you it's going to have like UR or, or JTAG into it. 
Yeah. Uh, but then then the other one, the the next up and coming, the two next up and coming security disciplines, in my opinion, are going to be uh, identity and privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, these are also huge, like application security. Uh, they are super, super deep. Privacy is is always going to be an ongoing battle, especially my next. So everyone talks about rights, like, you know, the right to free speech and the right to, you know, whatever. The right uh, to be forgotten. The, the right to be forgotten. Yes. Uh, for privacy. But again, I mean, we could just we could spend episodes on every single one of these, every single one of the topics that we just talked about security disciplines. And this isn't even all of them. This is just a very small, small piece of it. But when people talk about, you know, I want to get in security, great. What do you want to do? I want to work on the defensive side. Awesome. You got to pick a discipline, right? You got to focus on one area. You can learn about other areas. You can do application security and have an interest in physical security, right? You can do corporate security and have an interest in embedded security. You can do embedded security and have an interest in in privacy and, and application security, but become an expert in one area. So you've picked the discipline that you're looking to go after. You've decided, okay, this is what I want to do. How do you actually now learn the tools of the trade that are going to get you there? Uh, Well, first and foremost, think about what you're looking to develop. A, technical competency. You know, that's going to be pretty universally applicable to all the things that Drew was talking about. And, And technical does not mean like I know how computers work, but technical is going to be the the nitty gritty details of how does this ecosystem work, especially like with respect to privacy, you need to develop a deep understanding of what is the subject matter that you're actually looking to help secure. And then secondarily, the other thing that you're trying to develop is basically the mindset of a criminal. That is one of the things that I found really engaging about the industry is that in, in order for me to be good at my job, I had to think in a very deviant manner. Like, yes, this is how this thing is supposed to be used, but how can I make it work in a way that I want it to, right? So the two things that you're trying to develop are first, technical competency, second, mindset of a criminal. Pick your specific technology and start learning. Pick any one of the different things that that Drew was just talking about and just start diving in. Learn as much as you can. Get books, watch videos, you know, get your hands on whatever sort of hardware you need. Just start learning as much as you can. And it's going to be overwhelming, right? Like I think one of the things, one of the things that was most discouraging for me in security when I first started, uh, started getting interested into it was the alphabet soup of acronyms that are used, right? And I, think, yeah. I, I think I've kind of lost track of just how ridiculous this was uh, because you'll hear so many damn acronyms and you won't know what any of them mean. And, and the people that work in this industry just spit them out as if they are just common knowledge, which, you know, once you're in the industry, they are. So that can be discouraging, but I encourage you to, when you hear acronyms and you don't know what they are, A, look them up. B, just take it as a context clue, right? So when you hear that this acronym and it's been being associated with this other stuff that you do understand, just make a note of that. And then eventually this web of information will start to form and you'll start to make the connections between these different things. You'll learn what the acronyms are. Uh, but yeah, dive in headfirst and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's a bunch of different websites that have great, uh, great educational kind of resources on them. SecurityTube is a big one. So SecurityTube is going to be a... Well, 
Security Tube is a big one. It is a, an aggregator of security videos. So if you're looking for a, a single place that's just going to have like all the videos for different educational courses and different conferences and different presentations, Security Tube is just a great aggregator for all of them. You can get involved in bug bounty programs if you're looking to be on the red team side. So check out the website HackerOne. There's another one called Bug Crowd. But this is basically, there's companies that will say, hey, as long as you follow these rules, we we are fine with you trying to hack into us. Just report it in this particular way, handle it responsibly, and we will actually compensate you for your efforts. So that's a way that you can just kind of independently without being associated with a security consultancy or anything else, get your hands dirty with actually trying to break in in real world uh, circumstances. There's a particular book that I like to recommend, and it's particularly... It is highly relevant for application security, but just the way in which it describes a longstanding piece of technology and how we have ended up in the insecure posture that we are now is relevant kind of across the board. So I would say read the book called The Tangled Web, and it's going to kind of give you a history of what the World Wide Web is, how it developed, how browsers developed, and why web security is so darn difficult. Um, And it just takes... It takes... I guess the the part that I really appreciate about it is it takes the historical context of how did we end up where we are now, and it shows you the implications of these longstanding decisions and how they've made it hard to secure this really incredible technology. And that lesson is easily transferable to most aspects of insecure technology. There's a website, opensecuritytraining.info. Again, check the show notes. We'll have, we'll have references to all these things that we're, we're talking about. But opensecuritytraining.info is a website that has a bunch of professional free courses on really difficult kind of security subjects. Uh, a lot of stuff dealing with embedded security and low-level kind of like binary security. And so that's a, that's a really great website for, for those resources. And then uh, vulnhub.com is another place where you... Basically, it's it's a website that a bunch of folks came up with uh, intentionally vulnerable challenges, and they they put them in these ISO files, which you can then throw into a virtual machine and run. But it is a way to get your hands on a plethora of applications that are made to be vulnerable in specific ways and be able to hack into them. Not only that, but a lot of the best uh a lot of the best kind of vulnerable images on this website have write-ups as well. So even if you're starting from square zero, you don't know what software to be using, you don't understand the different technologies that are being used or what the protocols are, uh, there will actually be blog posts and write-ups on, hey, here's how you actually compromise that particular image. So seeing how other people do it, being able to read about how they do it uh, is a great boon to being able to do it yourself. Join a local DEF CON chapter or a 2600 chapter or really just any sort of hacker group. You can, you can search for DEF CON groups, search for 2600. Uh, but if you are in a major metropolitan area, guarantee that there is a local, uh, a local hacker meetup group. Um, so find a local chapter, get involved, find the community. Because uh, as we're about to talk about with, with respect to breaking into industry, it is about networking pretty significantly. Um, and then lastly, if you are in a school, like a, a college or, or graduate degree, check to see if there is a student organization that teaches this sort of stuff. That's how I got my start in it. That's how a number of other people that I know um, in the industry got their start in it. Uh, and hey, if you're up for it, try running it as well, because uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll force you to get familiar <laughs> with the subjects real fast.
And in terms of breaking into industry now, so figure out the ways to learn, you're doing your best to learn, you're, you're reading these things, taking these actions, trying to hack into things, getting involved in the community. Uh, it's t- finally time to break into the industry. How do we go about doing that, guys? Networking. Networking, networking, networking with every yeah. person you know. Uh, find people who share your interests and who seem, you know, good and capable and bind yourself to them and do cool shit. <laughs> and that, for me, at least, uh, I remember the first time, and I know I'm going to be called a shill for this, uh, but whatever. The first time that I went to DEF CON and met that community, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And that is how I got, I started building relationships with um with a lot of the people that I that I still consider close friends today, and and so that's not necessarily that DefCon is going to be the the only place that you can do that, but there is such a significant influence from the conference and research side of this industry that you should absolutely go to a conference, absolutely try doing your own research. Uh, but you are going to you know basically going to these local meetup groups or going to conferences are going to be the best way to find like minded people that can then help you get into industry. And and it will let you know if you want to be in this industry <laughs> that very too. quickly. Yeah, uh, if you go to DefCon, please 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 excuse the people that don't shower there. So. <laughs> <laughs> not everything. Not everyone in the industry is like that. I promise. Uh, <laughs> so just fair warning. But, but yeah, not everyone is not. Uh, and, and and again, you can just attend a conference. You don't have to speak at a conference. But the next thing that you should be doing after you attend your first conference is look at doing research, independent research, mm-hmm. and then speaking at your co- next conference that you yep. uh, want to go to, right? So independent research, it's how I really... So I was doing some security stuff uh, with some companies beforehand, and then I started doing my own research, uh, literally took a semester off of college, changed my sleeping habits, and just spent 18 hours a day reading and and researching everything I could about cellular networks. And then I presented material on it um, because that's the area of focus I wanted to. That was my uh, discipline of focus uh, at that time was that. And then I presented it at a conference, uh, TorCon, uh, TorCon 13, actually. It's my first conference I presented at. And it was I was super pumped because TorCon is one of my favorite conferences Uh, I've attended a few before then, uh, and it was my favorite conference, and it still is one of my favorite conferences today. Um, And I was like, I I want my first presentation to be at TorCon. So you go to your conference, you go to a conference, you see the cool things there. Uh, You might get overwhelmed and be like, everyone is so far ahead of me. Uh, I had one individual who is not on the tech side of Red Mesa, uh, but they're interested about getting into the tech side uh, of the industry. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, well come to DEF CON with me. They went to DEF CON and they're like, you know what? I like the non-tech side because everyone is just so far advanced me. I was like, oh, that's not the feeling that you should be getting. Understand there are people who are way, way, you know, deep into the weeds dealing with exploit development and stuff like that. But if you go to one of these conferences, don't feel overwhelmed. Right. But once you go to them, that should motivate you to start doing research and then present at it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what to do research in, that's okay. Spend some time looking into that. Don't just do BS research into some random thing because you think like, oh, yeah, 
I don't feel try like automating Nmap with Python. <laughs> yeah, don't don't try automating <laughs> random things that we already use with Python. That's not research. <laughs> that's just that's just yeah. It's not. It's it's stuff you can add to your GitHub, sure, but uh, don't <laughs> yeah. don't uh, yeah. It's it's not it's not necessarily conference worthy, right? Yeah. So, but but there's other things that you can get into, right? Um, and for for offensive security stuff, like if you want to be doing penetration testing, woohoo! Congratulations, you're everybody. Uh, capture the flag competitions and bug bounties go a long way. Uh, apply to security consultancies um, and. You know, don't go for the top tier security consultancies first. You probably, you know, maybe you'll get in, maybe not. But there's plenty of security consultancies that have plenty of people that don't really know security. Uh, but it's a good place to potentially cut your teeth and spending time in a discipline specifically dedicated to security consulting will easily transfer to other kind of like, especially when I'm reviewing resumes for security positions at the companies that I've worked at. So many of them started security consultancies. That's the that's the initial foot in the door for for a lot of people. Um, but then on the defensive side, uh, there's a lot of a lot of openings, especially for larger, older companies that need help not getting hacked all the time because they're all getting hacked all the time. So there's something to be said for uh, some certifications. Typically, my my outlook on certifications is if you see a job that requires some specific certification, it's not going to be all that intellectually demanding. They're just asking that like you know how to configure firewalls or you know basic security principles. Um, but that being said, getting security certifications, uh, the like like I guess not the ones with offensive security and not the ones with like certified ethical hacker, but like the Cisco security certifications, um, th- things like that. It, that is a way to, even if you don't have much uh, much experience in the industry or much of an understanding of what you really want to be doing, uh, you can read a book, take a test, get a few letters thrown after your name, and be qualified for a defensive position at a larger, older company. Um, and that can be a way that you can start blue teaming as well. Yeah. But if you are looking at certs, another thing to look at at a cert is look at the certs that have you do practical stuff. And that's not just a... Um, you know, like a test, uh, an ABC type of cert, because the industry is moving away from those pure. I mean, they're they're still going to be around, but those pure ABC, you know, multiple choice type certs. More people are looking at certs that have actual real world application dealing with like, like OSCP with offensive security. Can you hack into this network? Yes, you can. The cert means that you actually hacked into something yeah. right so look look for if you're going that cert route also look for certs that require some practical portion with that cert because mm-hmm. that is that is what the industry is more valuing than other types of certs that could just be defeated by test king so if you want to get a tons <laughs> if you want to get a tons ton of certs like microsoft ran in this problem you want to get a ton of microsoft certs google test king and then whatever cert you want to do if it doesn't have a practical application and it will give you all the answers for your cert and you can have a whole bunch of alphabets uh you know a whole bunch of letters after your name to make you look all fancy and still know nothing but uh that's why the industry is looking at practical based certs instead of just multiple tests or multiple question certs yep and i i will say uh just to end it on on that note I myself hold one certification from offensive security. I have no financial affiliation with them. Uh, I will say 
I failed the test the first time. And that was after I had been a penetration tester for like two years. Uh, it was really difficult. I have the offensive security certified expert, highly applicable, highly relevant, really difficult. Uh, and like, like Drew said, it is, it, it, you, it's not multiple choice answers. It's we're going to give you access to this environment, better hack in. And if you can't, you don't get, you, you don't get certified. So those ones definitely have a lot of value to them. Uh, but, but I also don't, I've never seen any, any positions that require those certifications to get in. I will say if you have something like an offensive security certified uh, professional or certified expert or any one of the other certifications they offer, that will look really good on your resume if you're applying for a security consultancy. Definitely. As someone who runs one, definitely. It looks good. <laughs> With that, we hope that you might not only be inspired to consider becoming a security professional, but you also now have a clearer path to making that vision a reality. There's a lot of ups and downs to working in security, but all three of us are quite happy with the paths we've taken, the experiences we've had, the industry friends we've made, and the ability to sit here talking to you about something we love. Should you choose to give security a shot, good luck, and let us know if we can help. That is now the end of our first season. So 10 episodes down, we kind of started this as an experiment, wondering if we were going to get this far. And it's definitely been a learning, <laughs> learning opportunity. But, you know, I think we, we've all really, really enjoyed this. And uh, we really appreciate anybody who has listened already, given us feedback, given us guidance. Uh, we'll be coming back in four weeks. So we're taking two weeks off. Uh, but otherwise, look forward to some new stuff. So we're hopefully going to have better, uh, better editing, better equipment, uh, maybe do some interviews with some industry professionals. Uh, but with any with any luck, our second season will be a, a step change improvement on our first. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and uh, take care.